Check, 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 check. Syllabus, syllabus. Well, welcome to Seth Says, and this is my podcast where I talk about, you know, uh, things I know about and also things that I don't know about but would like to and make some educated guesses on things. I am a personal trainer and a martial arts instructor out of Covington, Louisiana. And uh, I've always been real interested in those things and also uh, the mind, philosophy, uh, science, travel. You know, I was in the military. I did an enlistment in the Navy uh, and emotional well-being in general. So that's kind of going to be what most of this is about, you know. Uh, I'm going to have guests on periodically. I know a lot of interesting people that have a lot of interesting stories from all walks of life, from, you know, bartenders in the French Quarter in New Orleans to doctors to people that race motorcycles and, you know, MMA fighters, musicians. <clears throat> so once I get the hang of it, I'm going to do it that way. Uh me about me um well you know uh personal training is fun i've been doing that for probably about 13 years now in a small neighborhood gym and i just love it i mean i like being in an environment where people are constantly proactive and reaching for goals of some kind you know nobody's coming there to complain nobody's coming there to make excuses they're Coming there to, yes, they do a little bit of socializing, especially to older folks in the gym, but they're coming there to really work, do some work, do some meaningful work on improving themselves, improving their health, you know, and that kind of bleeds in a lot of other areas. Um, so it made a positive reinforcement loop for me every time I talk to someone in there, and just the general vibe is that People are working on, you know, uh, constant, never-ending improvement on a uh, slight incremental incline all the time. What I mean by that is, you know, it's 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 not people going balls to the wall and and really doing a lot of intense stuff. It's people in there chipping away at it, chipping away at being better all the time. You know, I like that environment. I soak up my environments pretty easily. So if I'm in a place that's ugly and where people are mean and where people are sad or you just mentally weak and, you know, make a lot of excuses and uh, they're always saying why they can't do something. You know, I, I'm not going to say that it rubs off on me and makes me behave that way. But it definitely brings me down and makes me feel less effective. I just feel my surroundings. And for me, working in with people who who are making a commitment to improving themselves just helps me improve myself. So they give me uh, as much, if not more, than I give them. And I love it. I love it. I, you know, it's been fun. I don't see it not being fun. Uh, I can do it indefinitely till I'm old and crusty and nobody wants to listen to me. 
Yeah. Um, as far as the martial arts side of what I do, so about a third of my personal training calendar is martial arts, and I mainly do uh, teach like a uh, full contact Dutch kickboxing style. Uh, my background is not as a competitive kickboxer. So my dad was a judo practitioner, and he basically taught me, you know, when I was a kid, the six most successful scoring throws, <clears throat> and I got good at those and could do them in a variety of different situations, and then, so that was my intro as a kid, and then Taekwondo when I was about 15, but not Taekwondo, like, uh chest protector full face guard strip mall uh mcdojo kind of this was a place that was very well known for creating real athletes and no it was point sparring those people from that dojo hit hard the punishment for everything was jump squats so everyone was springy powerful focused the guy's name was joe depacier shout out to joe man still excellent role model um just highly skilled so i got a blue belt there it took me about two years i guess and then i found kenpo karate and um i was impressed by its ability to analyze movement so the planes of motion are very important. And martial arts at the end of the day is just the study of motion and expressing yourself through motion. And I felt that Kempo fit that really well. Also, uh, the training environment of the dojo that I was in, even though the <clears throat> instructor ended up being a true psychopath with multiple felonies. Uh, very tough, tough, tough training environment. And, um, and I learned a lot from Kenpo, and then from there, I did wrestling in high school, and when, you know, I did a couple kickboxing matches, uh, while I was in Kenpo, and then in the Navy, I started boxing, and I got to be really great friends with all these Mexicans from LA, well, they weren't from Mexico, well, my, my best friend was from Mexico, he got a citizenship by doing the Navy, uh, but, all his homies were like uh, Chicanos from Los Angeles, you know, and they'd all been boxing since they were like six years old and stuff. You know, the kind of families where if the two oldest kids want seconds, they got to put their gloves on and, you know, box each other to see who gets the extra food. Like, they were like really hardcore. And uh, going from the karate world into the boxing world was a shock mainly to my dome piece you know and that's uh and that's my head being rattled around <clears throat> so but man every every martial artist should invest time in boxing getting those it just makes your eyes so quick if you can dodge really fast punch combinations kicks look like they're in eight times slow motion you know and um you real you get real twitchy and fast in the head defense, you know, where Asian martial arts, you they're taught to interpose your arms between you and a strike, whereas in Western martial arts, you're usually taught to move the target that's being struck at. Very helpful. You know, did that um, uh, while I was in Kenpo and while I was in Taekwondo. I did grappling tournaments based on my judo knowledge and cross-training uh with wrestling and friends of mine that did jujitsu, you know, I won some 
16-man uh, tournaments, actually. It was pretty fun. One was an international competition called Slugfest at the Radisson uh, Hotel in New Orleans in the Grand Ballroom. And it was kind of a big deal. Uh, that was on ESPN. I was in the striking division also, too, and got my ass whooped on ESPN by Raymond Daniels, who's now one of the best kickboxers ever. Kicked me in my kidneys. So, thanks for that, dude. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that's, that's, uh, and then I came back from the Navy after that, and I started doing, uh, really wanted to get an MMA. There was really nowhere in Maryland to do it that was accessible at the time. This was maybe 2004. So... I just kept training in Kempo, and then I came back, and then I came back to Louisiana after uh, after my divorce to my crazy military marriage, you know, power drinking, uh, Viking anger management redhead. Never do that. So if you're doing that, don't do that. Uh, so yeah, I came back, <clears throat> came back to Louisiana, and I found another Kempo guy, which is very rare, very rare style, beautiful style. It's like a cross between, it's like I'd say, honestly, it's about third Filipino, because it's got a lot of stick and knife involved in it pretty heavily, especially in upper belt levels. It's about a third karate, especially the feet and the kicks are very sort of Kyokushin karate uh, footwork and kicks, and, uh, and the hands are a lot of kung fu. Like, uh, kind of like Tiger and Crane Kung Fu. So then you got a mix of China, Japan, and, um, and, uh, the Philippines. And then boxing and wrestling and grappling. And so I've kind of done it all. I've been an amateur combat sports my entire life. Champions, amateur champions in, in some of those. So... Uh, I love martial arts. I love the philosophy. You know, they had a character from Street Fighter II, the World Warrior, was this arcade game in my hometown, and it had a time saver. And I was like a little kid. I was like 11, and they had this uh, <clears throat> Japanese karate master named Ryu. You know, Hadouken! And uh, he just epitomized the stoic hard-working, muscled-up, you know, uh, he was just the quintessential martial arts archetype, and I fell in love with it. Now, I I'd still, I practice every day, you know, I meditate, mm, probably not as much as I should, uh, but I do, and, and karate is more than the others, very philosophy heavy. So it shaped my being a lot. Uh, etiquette, manners, ethics, consideration for others. You know, not just thinking as I all the time, thinking as we, you know, about your community and about your relationships with others. And really allowing people to have their dignity, you know. Uh, respect is one thing. Respect, you have to earn 
my respect not just giving respect out you know people like oh you know they're always saying don't disrespect me respect is one of those things where you got to accumulate respect through your actions you know but dignity everyone should receive their dignity and be allowed to keep their dignity at all times that's what really makes us you know um a great civilization it's just a great set of values karate really contributed to that and i'll always be thankful to it for that uh <clears throat> so yeah kenpo karate wonderful system you know uh seems like the instructors in that system sometimes got a lot of character flaws that old school martial arts system where they got gurus and and they want to be you know don't you question me? You know, like the old Asian master you see on TV. Those people watch too much TV, man. Uh, I like, when I ran my dojo briefly, I made more money personal training. So it was a side project and a labor of love and I had a difference of opinion with the venue. So I shut it down. I might reopen it. But when I did mine, I did more of a relaxed atmosphere like we had in a wrestling team and boxing and that I see you know, uh, friends of mine that do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they have a camaraderie like you do in the military and people are making jokes and it's not so formal and, you know, all that formal attitude just really funneled into sort of like a cult-like fame for the instructors of these, um, traditional Asian styles and it was just disgusting. You know, how these guys uh, wanted to be celebrities like that. And I didn't really think that fit the spirit of the martial arts at all. So I did things a little differently. But So I got my third degree black belt in Kenpo Karate. Uh, after I got my black belt, I, I, I fought for a really good mixed martial arts venue. As you know, I had my grappling down. And both submissions and positions position before submission you know uh my wrestling was okay from high school and you know uh judo helped a lot with the hips it really did it was tall so hip throws were really good um right so my grappling was good and then i'd been striking so i wanted to venture in in that and when I, i i fell in with a real good promoter First name Rico, can't remember his last name now for some reason. Impostato, right? A little power lifter, uh, real strong, just bull of a man. Uh, he was real fair. He didn't really treat the MMA fighters like strippers. You know, like you see, like there's a kind of dirty business kind of thing going on with that. Well, he was like fair and professional and honest and wasn't misleading he didn't like exploit us or anything and if you had a good kickboxing record uh state wrestling championship um or a black belt then you could fight in his venue called renaissance mixed martial arts so i started my mixed martial arts career and i wanted to do it you know, just to take it as far as I could. Well, that got cut short. I tore my ACL in half 
was a sort of a freak accident. You know, the the mats were like that vinyl material that Taekwondo sparring gear was made out of. And I did a double leg on a dude, and I went to lift him, twist him, but my foot didn't pivot, so it snapped my AC hell in half. And that was the end of my mixed martial arts career. And that's a shame. But um, it brought me to college. So I was like, I got this GI Bill, you know, that I haven't used. Um, well, I had to re rework my personality because whatever you put time into sort of becomes your identity. So I had wrapped being a martial artist and being a warrior and being a gladiator. That's That was my identity. So... <clears throat> uh, after you tear your ACL in half, man, it's not going to get any easier to not do it again. That was pretty much a wrap. So I, going from warrior to academic was was real different. But in the end, I would say it benefited me more than anything else I could have. Any other avenue I possibly could have explored. Yeah. Uh, that's where I met my wife. You know, we took psychology classes together, and, um, yeah, it was, it was great. It was just great. It was great to go to college. It being, like, a lot of the knowledge that I had, that I thought I had in a lot of areas, you know, it had been 11 years since I'd been in school, so I, I thought I knew what I was talking about, and I had to go to college to to notice, oh, a lot of this information has been disproven, it has been updated, it has been expanded, it has 11 years, lots going by. The world is, you know, um, our just knowledge base as a species has increased so much that going and doing that made me a more informed person. More informed person makes more informed decisions and... Yeah, I just felt like being more of a critical thinker and having more pieces of the puzzle was just a huge advantage to help me, <clears throat> you know, to use a tired phrase, live my best life, right? True, though, it's gone a long way to contributing to my quality of life. Uh, I'm also intensely interested in... Oh, so yeah, that's the end of martial arts. Well, really, I still coach, you know, uh, since I did boxing and since I did karate to third degree black belt, I, um, I took this trip to Amsterdam. Yeah, just, yeah, to smoke weed. Okay, do, you got me. But it was also, you know, I took the Amsterdam challenge. It, it was all that. It was too strong, I think. But also, kickboxing is their national sport over there. And I wanted to go see Peter Ertz, who is this Dutch uh, champion of champions. I mean, in the full contact stri striking realm, K1 was it. It was the most legit. It was the most legit thing out there. Uh, just incredible talent pool and while I was there I was like I cannot miss this opportunity as a martial artist to to go watch him train and I did 
I sat there for two, maybe three hours, and I could see, and I was taking notes, you know, and I could see, they're like, this motherfucker is, is from another gym, and he's over here taking notes, shut it down. You know, but they came over and talked to me, and I was like, "Oh no, 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 no! I'm an ex- in, uh, an aspiring fighter from America, and I'm a huge fan. And I know that, you know, even though kickboxing was invented in Thailand, it was perfected in in Holland, and that's why I'm here. I want to just just take notes to just enhance my training." And they said, "Yeah, man, sure, I- absolutely, do it." You know, and Peter Ertz wasn't there, but another. Um, Another champion named Remy Bonjaski was there, and I mean he was this six foot four, uh, onyx black dude. He looked like an onyx warrior statue. He looked like a stallion. This dude's legs, and he was famous for jumping knees and stuff. And uh, he was there training, so watch him train. And afterwards, they were like, "You want to meet him?" I was like, "Oh man, yeah, for yeah, man, I've been watching him, huge, huge fan." And he talked to me for like twenty minutes, spoke better English than me, had a real calm, level-headed, uh, sort of gentle voice. He, um, I think, he was an investment banker before he was a champion kickboxer, and one of his friends. Um, said, look, man, you're real talented and I'm going to sponsor you. So that's kind of where his mind was. He was a real practical dude. I mean, the Dutch are like that anyway, but he talked to me. I said, hey, man, you're, uh, I saw the 2003 K1 Grand Prix and your, your endurance is incredible. You're like the Energizer Bunny. There's, you didn't get tired. You did four, three or four fights that night and I didn't see you like breathing laboriously, huffing and puffing really at all, and these other people were dead. They were totally exhausted. What is the secret? And he said, uh, jumping. All my, you know, pace running is okay, but not for fighting. Maybe for weight loss, it makes your feet, um, it makes your lungs used to that sort of muscle activity, whereas kickboxing is a bursting sport, so a lot of plyometrics. And then he gave me some routines to do that, and then also, you know, discuss like pad work routine. And I saw him do all their combinations, and I patterned all my sparring and everything after that. So <clears throat> I went down there to Majiro Gym in Holland and got that Dutch curriculum, and and that's what. I teach my kickboxing students because I believe in it. I mean, I think things should be... Look, a lot of practical things that actually work are not fancy, you know? And really, power is the most important part of that equation. Uh, You have to be a real threat, you know? So, I love kickboxing. I still coach that along with my personal training. And that's martial arts, you know? The other thing I'm super, super duper into is philosophy. I've always liked thinking about thinking. And, you know, that quote, the unexamined life is not worth living, that's true. That's a true statement. It's a a platitude, 
And all a platitude really is is something so true that people are sick of hearing it. You know, early to bed, early to rise. <laughs> you know, but but that's it's true, man. It's true. So yeah, I just can't stop thinking about it. You know, I like all the different kinds of mental frameworks that people create to achieve their objectives, to attain and maintain relationships, to explore the world, figure out how things work. You know, huge fan of science for that, for sure. It's the best way to figure things out, you know, in an actual real world way. Uh, existentialism, that's just been one of my favorites forever. Uh, believe that a person really designs themselves. Yeah, Sam Harris had a like a there is no free will really kind of thing, and you, your conditions also do create you, right? There's a nature nurture argument that's going on forever, and I don't really see it stopping anytime soon. But there's this. What do you do in the meantime? How how are you going to live your life? How will you structure your life? What do you want? Why do you want what you said you just said you wanted? You know, there has to be a reason. And there has to be a way to get those things that you desire. And there's a reason that you desire them. And it's because you think that it is the best option. Is it? I don't know. It's worth asking questions. It's always worth asking questions. So philosophy was has always been really big for me. I'm going to talk a lot about that. Um, I would say <clears throat> my favorite of those, you know, I won't go in hook, line, and sinker 100% on anyone's philosophy or anything that's been written down, like a genre or anything like that. You know, it's all like a Jeet Kune Do. Like Bruce Lee had to, you know, uh, absorb what's useful and disregard what's unuseful to you kind of approach to philosophy. But I would say, by and large, Stoicism has benefited me maybe the most besides Zen. I lived in Japan for three years, and I, I, I got into Zen while I was there. It's the home of Zen. Beautiful philosophy, uh, a lot to it. But Stoicism has a lot of um, it overlap with that, plus a couple other things. You know, it seems like a lot of, um, to use the parlance of our times, life hacks, right? But it's true. You know... <clears throat> Achieving mental tranquility is essential to happiness, period. It is. It is. So they have a Greek word for that. It's sort of like, you know, Buddhists say enlightenment, but a lot of spiritual mumbo-jumbo voodoo kind of things go with that. So I think I like ataraxia as a term better, and that's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot translated as tranquility. But really what it is, is imperturbability, which 
the ability of life's bumps in the road, ups and downs, when you get shook up, you're not perturbed by it. You're not moved. You're not, it doesn't rock you out of that um, solid state. Yeah, it's tranquil, but it's not hippie tranquil. It's solid tranquility. It's tranquility that you can count on in times of stress. And stoicism is one of the best mindsets to develop to uh, to combat stress. Yeah. <clears throat> also very heavily concerned with ethics, which I am naturally concerned with ethics. I don't like to make people lose face. I don't like to embarrass people. I think good social cohesion makes a good community. Good communities make good states. Good states make good countries. Good countries make a good planet. Blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I sincerely believe that. So it starts with me, right? What I radiate outward. You know, if I'm rude, if I'm rude, it's going to isolate me and make me feel lonely and horrible. And the people that I'm rude to will, it drains their energy. It makes them feel terrible. And then they're going to just pass it on, pass it on, and pass it on. So, um,. Yeah, ethics is paramount to me. Uh, they got a good, so basically in Stoicism, so in, to, in order to achieve ataraxia and, and have this high standard of ethical living and interpersonal relationships, they have sort of a, a matrix of four cardinal virtues. You know, one being prudence. And prudence isn't like prudish. Prudence is really just means logical. Like, okay, if you propose something, it should make sense. Or else, or else it's bullshit. It should make sense. It, it just should make everything. You should think things out and... Be mindful of what you say and be mindful of your actions. And logic is a key component in that, right? So um, fairness, so prudence, fairness. Some people call it justice. Justice sounds a little hard-nosed. And so it's not just justice. It's fairness in negotiation is really what it is. Uh, fairness is essential to trust trust is essential to building bridges between people and communities so fairness is huge prudence fairness fortitude now fortitude is what really allows you to get through the hard times people talk tough talk tough you know throw me to the throw me to the wolves and i'll end up leading the pack you know i can't tell you how many times i've seen that meme that is obnoxious. Real fortitude is how your attitude is when things suck bad. You know, when they're really tough. And that takes practice. And that's what fortitude is all about. And that's one of the main reasons I like stoicism. Stoicism in the common vernacular really didn't mean somebody that shoves their feelings down. Oh, he's very stoic. You know, uh a strong, silent type, that's really pretty far removed from the philosophy itself, which is is 
really about pro-social behaviors, you know? It's not about being quiet and sucking it up. It's about living to the fullest with others, you know? <clears throat> it's a team effort, you know? And individual exploration. But it's not staying silent and shoving your feelings down. So it's, it's different than that. So your prudence, fairness, fortitude, and temperance. And it's easy for me to forget temperance. That's like, um, you know, okay, drink. But don't be drunk all the time. Okay, you know. Um, eat. You know, everybody loves to eat. Eating is fun. It feels awesome. But, you know, you will literally cut your lifespan short if you eat too much. And there's a lot of things like that. They're just talking about general vices. Uh, vices generally. It could be anything. People can get addicted to absolutely anything. Video games, sex, the obvious ones, drugs, you know, alcohol, um, Food, sugar, particularly, stuff like that. So temperance is a way of um, indulging without being compulsive. And that's really what it's about. And it's easy to forget temperance. The other three, you're like, oh, um, oh yeah, I must be logical. Uh, for sure, I should be fair, you know. Uh, when the tough go and get tough, the tough get fortitude. That's easy to remember, but temperance falls by the wayside a lot, especially in a place like Louisiana, where it's party gras all the time. You know, we're always celebrating something. People are always drinking. They're eating king cakes. They're having parades. There's jazz music, and I, I mean, it is extraordinary. I it's extravagant the celebrations, you know, excessive celebration around here for sure. So it's easy to to fall into that, you know. Uh, temperance doesn't pronounce itself as loudly as the other three virtues, and at a glance, the consequences for ignoring its warnings seems minor in comparison to the others. But um, that's not true. They're equally important. All They're all equally important. A lack of vices can allow someone to maximize their potential. While if you have a whole host of vices, it can leave you in chains. You become a slave to, to your vices. For sure. Um, <clears throat> when I started this, people were like, Oh, uh, you're such an extrovert. And, you know, you're a positive thinker. You brighten my day with your social media posts. And I love that. And I want to thank you all for that. And I appreciate that. I really, really do. Uh, so they're like, you should start a podcast. You know, several people told me that. And here I am doing the podcast. I'm not really sure how real I should get. How much I should curse. How much I need to talk about my personal life. You know, how much I should be just you know, unapologetically opinionated about stuff I really think or any of that. I guess I'll just figure it out as I get there. You know, I'm I'm kind of moody as a person. I'm a passionate person. Passionate people are moody. You know, I might get emo on y'all sometimes. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Um, 
So yeah, that, and so that's kind of what what's going to be about. Seth says, and also you know, when I get the hang of everything, I'm going to have guests on, and I just know some just people that have done things. You're like, man, you can't even make that up. That sounds fake. You know, people have achieved the pinnacle in academics and sports and travel and, you know, some just real outstanding individuals. But they're also really entertaining. You know, you can be talented and boring, but these people are real storytellers. And and just the conversations often organically facilitate a lot of laughter, you know, and I would like to share that. So that is it for Seth Says, the pilot episode, and I appreciate y'all even giving this a shot, and I'm going to keep doing it till I get better at you, uh, better at it. So, hey, thanks a lot, and I will holla at you next time.